John here from GPS Training and welcome to an extra special podcast. Why is it extra special? Well, it's an extra one this month. The reason why is I've just done an interview with a good friend of ours, Duncan Hutchison, who you may know if you get our newsletters or you listen to past podcasts as being Road Atlantic in a boat that he built himself. I've just finished interviewing him um, and I was originally going to put it into our normal GPS training podcast. But I'll be honest with you, I think it'd be wasted within there. So I've put it in this standalone podcast. It's 45 minutes in length and it's a real good insight into the journey he had. Now, if you've not listened to our previous interview with him, I would encourage you to go back to listen to Podcast 10. Podcast 10 was when I interviewed with him the first time. Just to give you a bit of a summary, if you've not got time to go back there, Duncan originally set off um, from New York City and started rowing. After a number of days, he got into problems, very severe weather, and he had to be rescued. And then he got he went back to the, the mainland in America. He actually lost his boat at that point, so it was quite a low point of his journey. I actually interviewed him at that point, and that was the podcast 10 I was, I was just mentioning there. So if you have got time, go back there. It's actually the first interview on that podcast, so if you just start playing podcast 10, uh, you'll, you'll get two or three minutes of, um, of rambling by myself, and then you're going to straight into the interview with Duncan. And I, I would listen to that if you've got the time to do it. If not, the summary of what happened last time was he set off from New York, got rescued, and then the, the conversation this time is starting off from him setting off that second ad- attempt uh, running across it and I hope you'll agree as much as I do it is great a really little insight into that that solitude the high points the low points how he felt um, the treats he had and, and <laughs> I'm sure you agree to it's a cracking interview so enjoy it um, at the end of it please do drop me an email and let me know your thoughts on it and uh, yeah enjoy this interview with Duncan So on this podcast, we've got our special guest, which is Duncan Hutchinson. So Duncan, you may know as Duncan Adrift. Um, we last spoke to Duncan on our 10th GPS training podcast. So if you've not listened to that interview, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. Because what I'm going to do, I'm not going to go back over what I discussed with him last time. We're going to start from which really was the start of his second attempt of rowing across the Atlantic. So welcome, Duncan, to the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Very good. Um, so the first people who haven't heard you before, not read our newsletters, which I don't know where they've been for a long time, you built your own boat, Duncan, and you were aiming to row across the Atlantic in this boat, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. It's taken about, well, probably coming on three years from building it to actually getting prepared and ready to actually start my row and um, actually doing the row, yeah. Right, and you named the boat, is it Sleep Sleepner? Yeah, it's a uh, Sleipner. It's Sleipner. Um, mythology, uh, Norwegian mythology. It was Thor's horse um, deemed to fly across the sky. It had eight legs. It was that fast. And uh, yeah, it's, it's mythology, Norwegian mythology. So when did you give the, the boat that name when you were building it? Yeah, well, when I was building it, I actually had a friend in Holland called, we called Edwin is his name. Right. And um, he, he he didn't know, but we, in, in the UK there used to be a program called Ed the Horse. Yes. Uh, and we used to call him Ed the Horse just for a laugh. And um, he was a really good worker and he, he used to work a lot with, he worked so hard, he was like he had more than one hand. So I, I nicknamed, nicknamed him 
Um, what is the nickname? I've forgotten now. Um, Octohorse. Okay. Right, okay. The eight arms. So I looked up on the internet just to see if I could find a wee thing to print off for him. Mm-hmm. And when I typed in Octohorse, um, Sleipner came up. Right. Eight like horse. And it basically originated from there. Oh, fantastic. So that was the, you named the boat then. So just quickly, again, I don't want to go over what we've discussed before, but how long did it take you to build this boat? Um, roughly about, probably about a year and a half to actually build it, but I've been working offshore at the same time. So it's, it's roughly about, probably about a year, just full on. Fantastic. Yeah. And then we're going to start your journey from the 14th of June. So on the 14th of June, when we last spoke, you were at Whale Creek Marina, which is Strathmere in the States, and you were setting off for your second attempt to row across the Atlantic to your home at Loch Inver, isn't it, in Scotland? Yeah, that's correct, yep. So yep. 14th of June, how long, how much resources did you have on the boat? So you're rowing across the Atlantic, you've got everything on board with you. How how much food did you have? How long did you think you would uh, last for food-wise? Well, I, I'd estimated 90 to 100 days from, that was from New York. Obviously, I had about a week out of that. So I had plenty of supplies. I still had uh, roughly 300 and... 50 portions of food which was ample for for the rest of the trip um i had a water maker machine so that covered all the water um i was yeah. gonna ask that about the water the water maker machine turns seawater into drinking water does it yeah it's a desalinating plant that uh, converts the seawater compresses it through a hydraulic thing and um yeah converts it into fresh water fantastic and how how much water does that produce a day then um i think it could produce about 20 litres or so an hour. Not, I can't remember. I, I didn't use it much. I, I just tried to use it little and often just to keep it running. Right, okay. It's like a big power source. Yeah. Okay. And then really, this is how GPS training kind of fits in. What navigational and communication kit did you have on board with you then? So we're going to say now we are a little bit biased because we loaned you the InReach um, Explorer Plus, which is one of the forms of communication, as well as the Garmin InReach. What other kit did you have on the communication side? Well, I had I had obviously your set, which was uh, great. It, it was um, basically using text. Yes. Um, it was great. It was absolutely brilliant for the for the weather reporting, which I mainly used it for, and um, keeping in communication mainly with my family, because I didn't want to be inundated with emails from people because I didn't have time for that. So mm-hmm. I, I basically had that for for uh, texting, but also had the emergency button on it, so I could use it. Yes. But also had a satellite phone, which I could actually speak two people on which I didn't want to use because it cost so much right. but, um, I, ha- I had that for tracking and yours also was uh, doing the tracking mm-hmm. uh, brilliant um, and what other did you have a navigational devices as well did you um, did, that, you have, did you have anything else uh, no that, that was the main thing I had, I had a chart plotter which I already plotted charts on which I'd previously done but most of most of the navigating was trying to u- utilize the Gulf Stream, which I had my father at home, which I used the GPS set um, for texting, so he could update that on the computer at home, and related to me because I couldn't really get I could get internet, but it was just not very good. Right. 
you know, you moved on nicely to the Gulf Stream. The Gulf Stream is this vast warm water, is it, running through, uh, across the Atlantic? Yeah, it kind of runs north, northeast. It, it comes along the edge of the... It comes up from the Gulf, well, Gulf Stream. It comes up from there, along the south of... south side of... Uh, east side of America. And it basically, it, the stream runs about half a knot to about two knots. And it kind of runs northeast, so that, that's a, that's the reason I wanted to go from America to the UK because that's the direction, and it continues into the uh, North Atlantic Drift, which carries on further north, goes up past Scotland, round to Norway. So that, that was the, basically the direction I was heading, utilising the stream, you know. And you know, I saw some of the pictures on your Facebook page of this Gulf Stream. So is it is it is it a satellite? Is it a public thing you can look at and see where the Gulf Stream is each day? Yeah, there's, a, there's most people go into a thing called windy.com. It's just it, it, it's easy to visualise. It shows it in colour. It shows you can zoom in. It shows you roughly where the the speed and the currents are. It's, it is rough. It moves about all the time, so it's right. very rough. Yeah. So that can answer the question. It does move. The Gulf does move around then according to to weather. Does it? I suppose. Yeah, that's right. And, and the edges of it, you've got a cold Labrador front, I think it is, comes down the inside of it, and it actually goes the opposite way. It's cold water, and the Gulf Stream's warm water going up the way. Ah, oh, right, okay. I never realised that. And how, how far off the coast of America is that Gulf Stream? How far did you row before you hit that Gulf Stream? Uh, oh, I can't remember. I think it's about 500 miles from where I left. I mean, obviously, you can get it nearer. If you go a wee bit south, you can get nearer to it. But... Uh, yeah, about 500 miles, roughly. And when you get in the Gulf Stream and you're rowing, how does your mileage double, does it? Or does it? Is it? Is that too much of an exaggeration? How much extra mileage would you expect to do in a day in good conditions? Well, well, when you're rowing, when I rowing down to it, you, you're getting like steady mileage and then suddenly it just suddenly hits you. It's just like, it's just like rowing in syrup. Um, just you can, you can feel the current, you're trying to get into it and it's really difficult. But... Right. Um, once you get through that, you just suddenly you, you you well you know when you're rowing you can feel it, yeah. And then then it just yeah it, it, if you're with it you, it'll push you along quite quick. I mean I managed to get up to I think it was a hundred and five miles in one day no a hundred eight miles in one day My and I kind of steady a hundred miles for three or four days so. Yeah, it definitely helps you. Yeah, that must be a real adrenaline rush for you. You know, when you're going from well half, maybe half that distance, or whatever, to kind of suddenly get you know over a hundred miles a day. It's it's a phenomenal distance, even to to drive. That is, no, it's a decent journey in a car, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, later on, when you're going along, there's there's other like they call them eddies. That's like like currents within the Gulf Stream, and if you get pulled off. A bit. I, I got an extra week because it got pulled away a wee bit uh, further south, and it was difficult. I basically had to go with the the stream to get back onto it. So I lost about a week uh, trying to get back on on route. You know. Are these kind of what looks like whirlpools on the map? Is it just the south of the Gulf? Is that is that what those are that you're talking about? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're just they're they're um, they're all the way through it. Yeah. The, the, well, the first bit the first bit is is not like that, but. Further on, when it splits away, one kind of heads off to the Mediterranean, another one goes north, so it kind of splits away and it branches off in two different kind of directions. 
Brilliant. So going back to you and your thoughts when you set off for this the second time, because if people don't know from the first podcast, you set off from New York, had a few problems. You ended up setting off um, a few weeks later from Whale Creek uh, Marina in Strathmere. So when you um, set off that second time, was it relief, excitement, or were you just glad to get on your way again? Yeah, it was, it was, the main thing was, was waiting. I I'd, I'd had a hole in the boat to fix that, a, bro, a broken oar to fix that. That was all fine. So the boat was ready, but the weather wasn't 100%. So I needed like a offshore wind, and I had to wait for that. But it, was, it was frustrating waiting because I just wanted to get going because I was behind schedule as it was. Mm-hmm. And it was a, quite a difficult place to get out of because, well, that's what I broke the organ into. It was quite a, a rough entrance. Uh, so I was a bit nervous going out there, but once I got out, it was great, and I just just wanted to get going. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so it's just relief, really. Is you want to get going again, and you get going. And after how many days did it take you to settle back into that routine? Was it two or three days, or was it quite quickly? You just got your head back into gear, and and you were back in that routine. Well, I was just just so focused trying to get the Gulf Stream. I just I just locked in straight away. As soon as away from the shore, I was absolutely delighted and just just wanted to get on with it. Yeah. And when you when we were rowing, how how often were you communicating with home, like using the Garmin inReach or by a telephone? Because how much were you in communication? Was it a number of times a day, or once a day, or was it a routine, or was there not a routine? Well, not so much. Uh, trying to trying to get the Gulf Stream wasn't wasn't. I didn't get in touch much because I knew the direction. That was uh, there wasn't so much um, currents there, so that was quite straightforward. Um, I would just maybe call in maybe the end of the day just to see everything was all right and how long it was going to take and things and but I didn't really bother till till I really got to the Gulf or very near it. And then they, then there was a lot more um, communication just to make sure you're getting in it. You have to make sure you're positioned in the right place within the in the Gulf Stream, was it? That's right. Look look ahead for a couple of days of the weather. You know you need to try and position yourself in the Gulf Stream so if the weather is going to blow you. Out to the edge of the different currents, you 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 would try and correct it before it happened, so so it was, you're getting the best out of it, you know. The biggest thing that just looking through your whole story or the whole journey, like when you're at, on your own on the boat and you're rowing day after day, like what do you think about and and do you feel at one with nature? Do you know what's going on around you? And you know, do you, do you feel more as I don't know you're at home in the sea? Like do you think about what's going on at home or do you just think I've got to row, I've got to row? I don't know. What what are your thoughts when you when you're rowing and you're on your own? Total isolation, really. Well, the thing is, it's a bit like when you're practicing rowing and the rowing machines. The rowing machines aren't really like what that at all. But people go on about the distances and things. I used to just split it into like parts rather than a whole distance. I would just think of like like getting to the Gulf was going to be about four or five days. I hoped. And then the next stage, and the next stage, I didn't really think about how far it was. I, I, I just get you basically get your head down and just roll. But I kept thinking about if I finish this, I can I can use the boat as an investment and not go back offshore again. So I kept thinking about how I could start a business at home. So that was that was one of the main things I was thinking about. Yeah, and so you, you were thinking that actually you could yeah if if it's a success and everything was great, you potentially you didn't have to go back out, back to work again. You you could make a business making boats. Well, it was more so maybe get rid of the boat, or the boat would be worth more when I finish, um, or or even I was going to build small um, glamping pods for renting out, and I was thinking I could use the boat as a just like a like a, like a single berth 
renting out just for just for a laugh kind of thing. I, I, I thought it might might help, you know, but. Yeah, it was busy, so I wouldn't need to go offshore again. Yeah. So it's interesting that you, you kind of say you broke down. So you didn't think of, you didn't think of the big picture. You didn't think I'm running across the Atlantic and it's this far. You kind of broke that down into stages. I suppose otherwise you'd have information overload, wouldn't you? The, the, what you were trying to achieve would just be overwhelming, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what it, that's exactly what it was. Just uh, just break it down into manageable bits, and then it all come together, you know. And when yeah. you when you were rowing day after day, did you have a routine? Did you kind of write, I'm going to row for six hours or four hours and have my lunch, or or, or did you just it was a was the routine dictated by the weather? It was really dictated by the weather and the sea state. Um, so, some days the wind would actually be maybe going the wrong way, but the current would go the right way, so you could put out a sea anchor. Basically, yeah. your, your parachute, and it could actually pull you with the current against the wind. So you just had a way up each day as it was. So does, did the sea anchor pull you a little bit through the Gulf Stream as well, or not? Well, it, it did when the wind was going the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it would like pull you against the wind. So it, I mean, you didn't really know till you tried it. You could try it and, and look at your chart plotter, and it would show you basically how fast you were going. I've read a lot about this. How how actually big is this sea anchor? Kind of quite hard to to picture what it is. How big is it is? Well, I was told to get a nine foot, uh, well, for the size of boat. But I've got a second hand one for thirteen foot. It says you can go up, you can go you can go bigger, but don't go smaller. So yeah. I've got a thirteen foot um, pod anchor, which is a wee bit bigger, which I think actually was actually better for my boat. So a bit heavier, probably. Right. Okay. And then, did you row at night time all, or did you always just row during the daytime? Um, usually, I would kind of stop. If it depended again the weather. I mean, if the weather was quite calm, no problem. We could row through the night. But if there was a bit of chop in the sea at night time, it was quite hard to row because I had no lights on deck, or or if you had a head torch, you couldn't see the end of your oars. So you, Really hard to row against in the waves and that. So you'd be smashing your shins or scared to actually break an oar or break a shin. So, so usually to... I would kind of stop at ten until about two or three in the morning. Right. Okay. So you kind of and that was that was your routine. So you kind of if if if, if everything was perfect, you think right, I, I row. I've got seven hours sleep or something like that. Then back rowing again. That that was just your routine day after day, was it? Yeah, yeah. I say I very rarely got a long sleep, but yeah, that, that's what I did. Again, it was just really, we- really weather dependent. And then going on to the weather. So when the weather was bad, it's just a case of just getting your head down. There's no point rowing today because actually the weather's horrendous. I'm not going to get anywhere. Or you just get your head down and, and that call it a day. Yeah, that's you would. Um, the, because the boat, the shape of the boat, and everything. I mean, even if the, if the weather was going with you, if the wind was blowing you the right way. You could quite easily up to a force, well, it's probably 30 knot winds, which is quite strong winds. You could, you could actually drift without an anchor quite safely. The boat was that steady. It was really good. So you could actually just shut the hatch and drift that way. Mm-hmm. But if, um, if I go over that, I mean, dig up to about 42 knots at one point, which is far too strong, you basically put the anchor out and... It would just hold you into the wind. You basically point into the wind and just sit there and, and stop you going back away. And did you ever? Uh, it's a strange question, but did you ever feel frightened? You know, in in such high seas, did you kind of sit there and go, "Oh my word, I, what have I done here?" It's, fu- it's funny because 
some people have said, oh, there's a big storm coming and things, and I just thought, well, I knew this was going to happen. I knew, I knew the weather, this is where the weather is meant to be like, and I thought it would be more of it for this, for, for the, well, for the journey. I thought, I definitely thought there was going to be weather like that. So I basically was waiting for it to come, and I was quite glad when it came just to see what the boat was like. Mm-hmm. And uh, it handled so well, I just would shut the hatch, go inside, watch a film, and just think, oh, this is this is good to build this, and it's working the way it should be. And uh, I never actually felt felt quite relaxed and quite comfy, actually. Yeah. yeah. So what, did you have an iPad or something with films downloaded on then, did you, or something like that? Well, I had a couple of laptops. One of them was a work one, which popped in. Then I had another one that was more robust for the for just for the journey, really. And I had a small uh, Kindle Fire, which I, I put films. I just transferred them onto it, and um, yeah, just watch them on that, and, and do a digital log on my a laptop as well. Fantastic! <laughs> Run the Atlantic, watching a few movies to to relax a bit of downtime where the weather's that bad. Yeah. Um, so after two months, you reached the halfway point, didn't you? So did was there a big celebration then? Do you know, from home was a was a big celebration. Did you do anything to reach the halfway point? Well, I kind of um, I say in stages again. About I think the first thousand miles that was like a a, a major one. Um, I thought, um, I think it was, I tried to sing at 500 miles, that was uh, the Proclaimers, which I don't particularly like, but uh, <laughs> I, I tried to sing 500 miles for a wee bit, and then when I got 1,000, I can't remember what 1,000 was, but the 2,000 was uh, the the Pretenders from way back, they right. had a song called 2,000 Miles, I think it was, and that was another one I was singing put on. But uh, yeah, I got messages from home saying it was good, and yeah, yeah, it was a kind of yeah celebration, kind of yeah. Very good. And did you have treats? Did you take cakes or anything with you, or drink alcohol or anything like that at any stage? Well, I stopped drinking a good few years ago, so I didn't have any drink. But uh, in fact, I had a Christmas cake, so I might have been drinking it in it. I'm not sure. I had a Christmas cake from a friend at home because it keeps so well. So I marked it into twelve pieces and I decided I was going to have a bit every Saturday. So every Saturday I had a bit of cake and text uh, home to get the football scores. So that was a celebration every Saturday. I saw you're a keen football fan, aren't you? So I think even during the World Cup you were you were keeping an eye on results and then every Saturday once the season started you had uh, the messages coming in from home about how things were going. Yeah, that's right. My son actually sent me a message saying how... Um, um, the ex-world champions Germany had only lasted 12 days and I was I'd lasted longer at sea than them <laughs> are you are you a Rangers fan Duncan are you yeah well I am and my, my all my family are Celtic fans so it's a, a good good laugh oh very good keep me going um so I must add that your family so you're running across the Atlantic you, I've not mentioned this so far I'm going to mention it now and I'll mention it again you you raised you raised still raising money for water aid aren't you that was one of the reasons you decided to start on this journey your family just worked tirelessly all the time when you were rowing they were school fates highland shows they were working with local school children and raising money and I suppose raising the awareness of exactly what you were doing yeah, they've been absolutely brilliant. I mean, uh, charities for water aid, and it's on the website, um, duncanadrift.com, and, and it's just giving on there for for water aid. But uh, yeah, they've tire- tirelessly just 
try to fund and fund and fund. I mean, I get easy, but I just row in, but they're, they're funding the whole time. And I, I suppose it keeps their mind of what I'm doing a bit as well, so maybe help them that way as well. But, yeah, I mean, at one point it was, when it was 22,000 raised, it, 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 uh, that supports 1,500 people for water for life. Wow. But at the moment now, it's it's just creeping over 30,000 now, so it'll be way over that at the moment now, so, yeah. It's amazing, really. And suppose they they were keeping you in touch with what they were doing at home, were they? Yeah, they, they, were, they were keeping me in touch with everything, yeah, just by text, yeah, through your machine, also, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And did, did you need to do much maintenance on the boat? So the boat you built, so of course you knew everything about it. Did you have to do much maintenance? Did, did anything wear out with the, you know, with just the the oars is there friction does it does anything wear out does your seat wear out because i suppose your seat will move up and down as you row will it yeah well the seat the seats the bearings and the seats they nearly all went there's four wheels so i basically replaced all them and the i think i just had i had four spare so i used them they were all not very good right um but it should have managed. So I was actually probably going to end up just going to Ireland. That was the kind of plan because my spears were running out. Okay. Um, I had wires for the rudder. They both had um, worn through, but I had new ones of them, so I put them on so it would have lasted. Um, so I broke an oar, but that was fixed. That wasn't a problem. Um, yeah, most of the stuff, the electric wiring, some of the terminals had gone, but I fixed most of them, apart from the major one, which I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, living and rowing every day on just a, a, a it's, it's not a small, small craft, but on a small craft, do you become very OCD about things around you? You know, a scratch on the boat or something, does that become a, a big issue? Because you look at it every day, you're sat in the same position every day. Or, I don't know, because you know the, well, because you know the boat like the back of your hand because you built it. Do little things like that bother you or, or, or does it not affect you at all? Uh, no, as long as it was fit for its purpose, it wasn't good bother, but it's anything um no there's nothing 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 i can think of um i mean there's the deck was getting a bit dirty with the uh, algae growing and stuff and you had to clean it off and the paint would come off a bit so i mean although although little damage i got i wasn't really bothered it wasn't affecting the the boat really so no, no. It was... Yeah, just... and what about the the wildlife? You know, like you know, it's suddenly you are at one with nature. So you got visited by birds. No, the dolphins. Did any dolphins join you? Whales? Anything like that? Any stories you can tell us about that? Yeah. Um, well, a couple of things of birds. What one fell in through the hatch? I got a hatch above my head. It was just open a wee bit just for the heat to start with, and then a bird fell on top of my head in the middle of the night. I don't know who was most surprised. <laughs> so a video of that. Um, then when I was texting on your your GPS set, a bird came down and landed in my head. So I I didn't think anyone would believe me. So I, I got my phone out to step in selfie mode and did it again, and uh, it was on, it was actually on the BBC. How long did that? How was it, How long was it on your head for then that bird? It would have stayed there forever, I think. I just was texting away, and it just it was quite funny. It was quite funny, actually. Um, and I did it two or three times, so yeah, it was quite strange. It must be just needed a rest from flying across the Atlantic uh, or something, didn't it? So there were, I had a visit from a pigeon and uh, various birds, and uh, the, there were lo- lots and lots of porpoises 
right? All the time. Um, and whales, I had whales underneath the boat, four of them at one point. Wow. Um, just a couple of feet underneath the boat, actually upside down and blowing bubbles and that was quite incredible. Quite that was only that was they were quite intimidating, but I was scared they were going to break my oars at one point. But it was quite amazing. Yeah. And it was the boat rocking at that point when they were. Well, of course it would have been rocking, was it? Yeah. Well, it was flat calm, and that kind of woke me up because uh, there was all this noise, the bubbles, and then then the, they were actually. I think they aerate the water under the boat and and chase out the small fish and then try and eat them. Right. So, okay. So I actually got a video of them eating one. And um, yeah, they were lovely. Yeah. Any dolphins? Um, I don't know. I think it was just porpoises. I'm not sure. Maybe there was dolphins, but uh, there was um, one one shark. Well, there was two. One I didn't get a photo of, but then there, later on there was. Uh, uh, I was lying in my bunk, and then the, I heard a bang in the rudder, and then. Um, Happened a couple of times. I looked out and here's this eight boot shark outside circling the boat and bashing into the rudder. <laughs> but the day before, I was out, I was underneath the boat cleaning the underside of the hull because you need to clean the growth of it. So the day before, I was out in the water um, and then the next day, it was a shark. Wow. That's a wake up call, isn't it? Yeah, so that was a bit, uh, yeah, exciting. And I know before you went, we discussed this last time, your boat, if it ever capsized, would, would re, re, well get itself back up the correct way, I don't know the correct terminology for it, actually. So did, did it ever capsize in high sea or anything like that? Yeah, it was, it was designed to self-right. That's the term we That's use. Okay, um, yeah. And I tried that at home and did it, and it was fine. Did it in calm weather at home, which is might be harder than a rough sea. So um, it didn't even, it never even felt like it was going to go over... Right. Oh, I mean, you get hit by big waves side on, and and it would, obviously the boat would go big lurching and stuff. But it never felt like it was going to ever get turn over, apart from the when I actually got rescued. Yeah. So, we're nicely moving on to the rescue. So everything was going great. Everything was going. You had some bad weather. You, uh, um, but you were progressing forward, as you said. You may be going to have to hit Ireland because um, of, of 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 supplies and and things to keep your boat going. And then on the 22nd of September, it all happened in Duncan. So can you kind of talk us through the what happened on that, that day? Yeah, well, I think it was, it was day 100 um, and everything was going fine. The weather was a wee bit against me. I was slowing down a bit and I basically decided I was going to go to the nearest point at Ireland, which was 699 miles away. Um, so near, so near. I know. Um, that, that was the plan anyway. Um, just more so for the, the, the spare parts I'd used. I had plenty of food, that wasn't a problem. And um, then the, I started losing power a lot And um, when I was using the water maker. Mm-hmm. Um, so I switched everything off when I used the water maker and it, it helped a bit, but not quite right. And then my radio died, just faded away and went out. So all the wiring for it was fine. I mean, so I knew it was a power issue. So I um, I just tried to find out. Well, I couldn't find out what it was because everything was registering okay. So I took one of the batteries, isolated one of the batteries, and tried it all again. And and it seemed to work far better. Everything everything get far more of a charge. Mm-hmm. Then just within, I think it was about a, that one day. It just the whole lot just came down very very quickly, and um, 
I couldn't fathom out what, what it was at all. So it was electrical somewhere along the lines. I, I don't know what it was. So I just knew then I would have to... What I did was charge your setup, the mm -hmm. GPS setup, the satellite phone, and I'd charge my laptop up just so I could use it as a battery pack so I could charge these things if if, if um, everything else went down. So I had the laptop just a battery pack, basically. And um, then I was lying on my bunk. The, I usually have the chart plotter on, and it just died away and just went out. And that was everything out apart from the charging points, which used very little power. So then I only had the USB and a, a cigarette lighter charging point. Right, yeah. All I'd left to charge the battery parts. I knew then only like matters of hours on my on my handheld equipment. So, um, so you, I, had, you had two batteries. You had the the boat was powered by two. Well, the electric was done by two batteries. What, what kind of batteries were these that you were powering everything with? Yeah, I had uh, three solar panels, two two hundred and sixty watt, um, which would go through a. A uh, controller that uh, they put the power into the two deep cell gel batteries, the ones that could you could go upside down and there's no fluid coming out of them. But I think one of them, the, I think cells in one of them had popped in or something. I think that was the major thing. But it should still run if one, no bother. But it's probably my electrics. Well, it will be, it will be my electrics somewhere along the line. So I, I don't actually know. Um, so I, I was stuck to the just the battery park sensor and you were just limited in time to do stuff because uh, i would lose all communication then if not yeah and is this this all started so seven o'clock in the morning you started first having battery issues and it's quite early so i suppose it was just did, did that day did you just think this can't get any worse this can't get any worse or were you quick quite a, quite a quick thing actually this is I'm, this is gonna i'm gonna have to bail out at this point well i i, I just um say I couldn't even think about rowing or anything. I just had to basically had to work this out because if this doesn't work, I know it's going to stop. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's just a process of elimination, trying to eliminate things, and I just couldn't get to go. Um, and then, yeah, all day at that, and then thought I'd sussed it out, and then taking a rest to lie in my bunk and think what's going to happen. And then it all died away, and I thought this hasn't worked. It's it's uh, beyond beyond me now. So it was late at night. I think it was eleven o'clock. You you called your wife, did you? Well, I, I called her because I knew I was going to have to act somehow because because I was going to lose communication. Uh -huh. That was the only line I had to get help. So <clears throat> yeah, I, ph I phoned her on the satellite phone and just said, "I'm going to have to put this off. I'm not in any distress. Ring weather's all right." no distress but I, I'm going to lose power and I'll lose contact so just to let you know that you might get phone calls from the emergency people so then I then I uh, set off the emergency on the satellite phone mm -hmm. so they would call you back and I presume they get billed for the them calling if I call them it cost me an absolute fortune <laughs> and, uh, which would have been bad enough but it might, I was scared to run out of my credit and then I wouldn't be able to speak Right. So, uh, so the, the sat phone has an emergency beacon on it. So you, you set that off, and then what? Some who who rings you on the sat phone then? Well, that's the same. On your set, you had an emergency button as well, but I, I really need to speak to someone. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's the Houston, it's Texas guys, then, isn't it? The ones in Texas in the states, I think. 
Yeah, it was Houston, Texas, I got, and and they in turn, as I spoke to them, we got put through the UK, and we had a three-way conversation between us, and uh, we decided, well, just what, what the process was from there, and, and, and they put out a pan pan, which is goes to all ships in the area, and um, basically a distress, and they come back with the nearest boat to you, um, they're obliged, well, I don't know if they're obliged to, but they, they respond to, and um, that one was 40 miles away, and they, they diverted and came to, to my aid, yeah. So it was a cargo boat that was 40 miles away, um, that, that diverted to your assistance, so what was it like to see this, a, a large cargo boat, so I assume that correctly? Yeah, it was a, a well. It was quite a quite a biggish boat, but for, you see a lot of super tankers and mm-hmm. container ships are obviously massive, and this was nothing like the size of them. But it's still a big, big boat. And um, seeing it coming in the distance, they couldn't see me because I had no power, no lights. I normally had my navigation lights on, mm-hmm. but they couldn't see me at all. And I knew they wouldn't see me in the radar because I'm I'm a wooden boat, so it doesn't reflect well. Right. And some of the machinery I had, reflectors and things, wouldn't work because I, the power was down. So I basically had to, I had a handheld radio that I kept charged up, ready for for that moment, so I could actually speak to them. Mm-hmm. I had a, a like a strobe torch, so bright torch, so I could shine this and speak to them in the radio, so so I could physically see them first they wouldn't have seen me so I would call them up on the radio and then then put off the strobe light so that so we could see each other and could yeah so you said a handheld radio is that like a VHF radio that you communicating on with yeah it's just like a short range VHF radio that you yeah you just use it in very very short range yeah right okay so this is now we're at what early hours of the morning is three o'clock or something like that you you get visual of this boat coming towards you um, this cargo boat so what what do they do? Do they throw your rope? Is it as simple as that? Yeah, it was, well, it was about two or three in the morning. I mean, it would have been simple if it was simpler if it was daylight, but because it wasn't daylight, I had no lights. Uh-huh. It was very difficult for them um, to get spotlights and things, but the, to try and get a line to get within near you is very, very difficult because, I mean, it was probably blowing 13 knots by then. I mean, it's quite, I don't know three to five meters swell up and down and they, they, they said they were going to get a heaving line a rope right uh, to me to try and get me alongside so i could go off basically mm-hmm. but they had a they have um it's called rocket lines they basically have a a, a a container that holds a rocket and a, and a rope a light rope and they fire it off and you pull that rope in and then get a heavier rope but they tried that twice and it, it just couldn't because the weather couldn't, I couldn't get it and, and missed it a couple of times. But the third attempt, we got it. Fantastic. And then, could you attach it onto the boat? Is that what you aimed to do? Is that? Yeah. Well, obviously, the idea was to attach it to the boat. They would attach it to their boat and kind of heave heave me to the side of the boat into they have escape ladders then the side of the, the boat. So they they would try and heave me into the side and then I would try and go off the ladder. But the the first time. They pulled me in, the boat drifted right along the starboard side of the boat and, and went right astern in the, in the back of the boat. And Actually, I thought it was going under the back of the boat. It was that. Uh, yeah, it went right right at the stern of the boat at the back. And the, both sides of my boat, the gunnels, the edges, 
they both were under the water in the deck of school. God. And the boat went right over its side. It was about, probably about halfway under the boat. And I was steering at the props over about 20 feet away. I would. But they were big propellers as well, were they? Huge. And I just thought, oh, that's when it, that was the first time it all went in slow motion. I thought, whoa, this isn't good. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like steering. It was just like, I don't know, it was like, whoa, I don't know what, how, how would you see it? And these, then, these propellers were spinning around, were they? they? Their propellers were still moving, of course, were they? Yeah, they were, they were but they, I mean, they were obviously trying to shut them down, but uh, you can't do it instantly. And I, Just luckily enough, the rope snapped, and I drifted away from there, so that, so that was good. But then came alongside again the, the last time, and um, basically did the same thing, another rope, and um, just tried to do it a lot more slower this time. And just... As I don't know what happened, the the boat kind of took a lurch, and the the head of the boat, the sleeper of the head, the figurehead of the boat, it turned around and smashed into the trunker. It went in smithereens. It just decapitated and flew off into the, the abyss somewhere. And um, the boat took a big lurch the opposite way. Luckily, it went the opposite way. Because if it went the other way, I would have been probably crushed between the two boats. So it um, went the other way, and the, the bow went right under the water. And the boat went right over onto the side, about three quarters of the way over. I fell out of the boat, and um, I was actually hanging onto a stainless steel wire that I had a safety wire I had. I was just actually hanging onto it with my one hand under the water for a wee bit, and then that's again that's when it went to slow motion. I was thinking, hmm, I can't let go of this because it's the only lifeline I got. This hand, hand holding on the steel wire, so I popped back up. And I was actually lying inside the boat, looking at the keel underside the boat, out of the water, upside down. And then the boat self-righted what it's meant to do. Right, brilliant. I managed to get back into the boat, and the boat took a it took a big lurch up, I think about four or five meters up in the wave. And I just managed to hold on to the ladder, of the the big the big boat, and I was just hanging on the ladder. And basically, my boat dropped away from my feet. It just dropped down in the next trough and I was off then. I was on the ladder so was that was it sheer relief, surely after such a, a frightening um a, a hour, half an hour at that point, I don't know, it was just sheer relief was it to be on the ladder? Yeah, it was it was quite tiring, but it was it was good to be on it was obviously good to be on it anyway. <laughs> um but I was so glad I had I said I had a really heavy rucksack on waterproof uh rucksack that all my stuff was in my laptops and I my logbook and all the history of what I did. So it was all in this bag under the water, which was just, I mean, if I, if I, if I didn't hang out that wire, I think I might have sunk with the weight of it, because it was really heavy. But uh, yeah, going up the ladder, I just took my time and just thought, oh, that's it, then boats. And how, boat, you know? how we're going up that ladder? Because if you've been sat down or on a bunk for the last three months of your life, suddenly climbing up a ladder, you're using muscles you've never used before. How how do your legs feel at that point? Um, I think it's adrenaline just kept you yeah. going. I just, I was, I was just, I just thought I'm, I'm safe in this ladder as long as I hold on this ladder, it's fine. So I just thought I'll just take my time up because it was probably about another twenty feet or so. It didn't sound much, but it's quite a lot. You've got a big. Probably bag it was probably about fifty kilos in my back, mm -hmm. and um, you could see all these eyes staring down and little arms trying to help you, which was nice. And uh, yeah, just 
Yeah. And this bag you had on the back, is, is it called Overboard, was it, or something? Yeah, it was, a, it was one of the, the sponsors. They, they give me these bags and stuff free of charge, which was really nice. And, um, I mean, if I hadn't that bag, I wouldn't have any of the, the pictures, photos, logbooks, nothing. It would all have been gone. So that was unbelievably good. So, yeah. So... I'm going to finish the rescue. There's a couple of things I want to go back to because there's so, so much in here. So you get you, you climb up the ladder and you're greeted by a lot of happy faces, I suspect. Are you glad to see you? Yeah, they were they were really nice. The, the main crew was mainly two nationalities. There was uh, Filipinos and um, a Latvian. That, that was the, the bulk of the crew. There was about 20 of a crew. Um, yeah, and they were just so nice. They couldn't have been nicer. Yeah. And they were heading to New York, were they? <laughs> I well, that's, uh, when, when I they took me into, uh, gave me a room and I had a shower and stuff. They gave me clothes and couldn't be nicer. Give me coffee and stuff, warm me up. And um, I, I, made, I just made a little video on my phones, kind of shell shocked, seeing about well, interesting twenty four hours. Um, and uh, I looked at the video, at the phone and said, "I guess where I'm going." New York. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, but nobody's seen the picture at this point. You, you are fully bearded, aren't you? You've not shaved for the last three months? That's right. Uh, three months of not shaving. <laughs> Later to be, um, what do you call it, um, time-lapsed on the computer. Yeah. You're fantastic. So you mentioned the logbook there, and you, I, I can see a little bit. So every day of your, your journey, did you keep a log of your journey, did you? Yeah, well, I had two logbooks. I had a rough one, which I ran out of pages on. Um, I just basically wrote in it roughly because the weather was sometimes bad and it was hard to write and stuff. So I'd put it roughly in it, and then when the weather settled a wee bit or I got a wee bit more time or it was warmer, I would I would just put it in the proper logbook, and then I would double it up with the digital log on the laptop. And are you going to publish this are you going to make it public or is it just for your own personal recollection of your journey well on the crowdfunding a good friend of mine chris Wynn, who's campaigned a lot for this he actually he on the crowdfunding he he gave me a lot of money and and that was one of his the logbook is for him right i was going to get a copy of it i'll, I'll get a copy for myself and um, the logbook i will give it to him um and I'm hoping with a digital log, I'm definitely going to write something about it. Brilliant. I'm not very good at writing and stuff, but I've decided I'm going to write a book and I'm going to do it like a, a, a completely original. I'm not going to get anyone to alter it. I want I want all the mistakes in it. Mm -hmm. that, uh, just so it's like real, because you get people writing books and it's it, it's all lost in translation, what they're trying to write, you know, and I want to be like authentic and, you know, as it is. Yeah, that'd be a brilliant read. And what's the time scale for that? I know I'm a bit under pressure now, but what are you thinking within the next year or so? I haven't a clue. I'm going to leave that a wee bit just in case, in case the boat turns up. Mm -hmm. um, it might make a difference to that, and, it, and, and I really don't know. I, I can work on it as it is at the moment, just roughly with what I've got in the logbook up until till now so I mean I can work away in that and if it does turn out brilliant if it doesn't well so be it and the boat then so the boat was lost during the rescue do you think it do you think we're finding what do you, what odds do you think is finding that boat again um it's the boat itself should be okay it should be uh, shut the hatches and stuff so it should be watertight and you know self-writing so it, it's 
physical aspect, it should be okay, but it should be heading, I think it will head north with the Atlantic Drift, mm-hmm. and um, it'd probably head up towards Norway area if it's not picked up by then, but I mean, it's, it's, it's such a huge area, it's just it's very unlikely, but it'd be brilliant if it is, but I've kind of written it off at the moment. So to finish off, I've got five key questions here to ask you, Duncan. Yep. And again, um, yeah. So first one is, if you could have only one, what was the high point of your trip? Which one moment is the high point where you kind of thought, this life doesn't get any better than this? Um, <laughs> Testing you now. <laughs> no. Maybe I think probably when the whales, when the whales were under the boat, that was quite a, quite a intimidating kind of thing, and and, and so nice at the same time. And I was just thinking they could quite damage my oars and things at the time. And I thought they they could mess us up as well. And uh, but at the same time, it was unbelievably amazing to see. I think that was probably one of the the, the better things, you know. As a Scotsman, I thought you were going to say when England got knocked out of the World Cup for that one. <laughs> Someone did ask me that. <laughs> I was thinking of these last night. I thought, I bet he's going to say when England got knocked out of the World Cup. So that's oh. nice that it's not that. But we'll get into it. Yeah. Okay, so then the opposite end of the spectrum then, what was the lowest point of your trip? Was it the rescue at the end? Or is there another point where it was you low, you felt isolated, or was it when something went wrong or something? What was the low point of your, of your trip? Oh, a couple of times. I mean, the, the first lowest point was when I realised the first time I got rescued, before the second attempt, mm-hmm. when the Coast Guards actually said they weren't going to tow my boat in. Mm-hmm. They just set it adrift. And after that, I mean, a few days after that, I thought I'd lost the boat, and that was it. I thought it was just well arranged, basically, to come home. Mm-hmm. Got my second passport sent out, and uh, I, I was making a plan to come home, and that was probably the lowest point. Rescuing that, that was fine. Maybe maybe just before I phoned my wife when I, I was going to do the, put off the rescue button, mm-hmm. thinking, well, that's it. But by then, at least by then, I know I was capable of doing it. Made a good bit of money, but then for water aid, that wasn't so bad. But just see that before the second attempt was probably the worst bit. And just thinking, so many people kind of let down, you know. Yeah, yeah, you do. You never leave it, let anybody down. And then thinking of the whole journey, is the one thing you wish you had known before you set off? Well, now that you know now, sorry, that you know before you set off. Um. How to do electrics? <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. I wish, uh, I wish I paid more attention to school electrics. Yeah, yeah. It's the one. Th- it's the one thing that you think. Ah, if I, if only I had known that before I set off, it would have made my life not just the journey, just your own personal life, or something better. Yeah. Well, that that was that was my only really big concern, right from the beginning, really, because it was kind of didn't know enough about it. Maybe in hindsight, I should have. Found out more about that, but about the electric just, side of the boat. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it's easy looking back saying that, but uh, yeah, that was probably my worst thing. Yeah. Uh, 
And the big question, would you ever try it again? I know this was very, very early after your last time. Is it something that you've got out of your system now? Is it something that, I don't know, would you ever think of doing it again? Maybe with two people, two of you next time or something? Well, that's the thing. Um, people ask me that, you know, saying, oh, wouldn't be surprised if he tries a game when he goes back to New York, just, I think, being funny and stuff. But um, is it, you couldn't do that because you, you didn't have the supplies. You need to re, resupply, re, redo everything again. So you, you couldn't actually physically do it immediately anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if, if money was no object and... Uh, yeah, if money was no object and I had my electrics sorted out, I would definitely do it again, yeah. Fantastic. Now, the big, the big question for us, the Garmin inReach. Now, I'll be honest, I spoke to the listener. I spoke to you quickly, briefly on the phone yesterday, and you said, oh, the inReach is back in the post here. It arrived on my desk about lunchtime yesterday in a packet, and I didn't open it for a few hours, Duncan. I was scared of opening it. I thought, what is my inReach going to look like? So I opened it up. I cannot believe how good a condition it is. It looks like it's not even been for a walk around the hill. Did you, what did you, did you clean it? Did, what did you do? What state was it in? Um, well, the only thing I was worried about was the the connection point. You know, with the, the bottom. Where you plug you, it in, yeah, to charge yeah, that, it. That was the only concern because the first time I got rescued, I, I took it so I could get in contact at home, mm-hmm. um, and I I shut, I kept that, well, closed that bit just to make sure because it was under the water. The, the first rescue as well, um, uh, and well. I basically, I didn't use it outside at all. Right, okay. All, just mm-hmm. when the bird landed in my head. So I used it inside. Um, and it, it just, it was brilliant. It's really good. Very good. I, I, I probably didn't use it the full benefit of it, but it was absolutely, it was a, it was a lifeline because it, it, it kept me sane, I think, mm-hmm. with um, text to the family. I think it, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Well, you were, because I say I can have a, we, 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 we could monitor, not, we didn't look at your text, don't worry about this, but we, uh, we could see how many texts you were sending from it, and, and it was phenomenal, really. I say it, it hopefully kept you sane, and, and the lifeline of that communication back at home, and the most important thing, in the football results on a Saturday. Yeah, I must say, yeah, it was great, yeah, it was, I'm not sure, I mean, the package you had with that was, I think it was quite expensive. I mean, but in relation to the satellite phone, it was it works off the same. It's Iridium, I think, isn't it? It's the Iridium satellite. It works from. And I know we started off on a, a lower package, and I think your wife contacted us. As I think you must have been getting some messages, and we upped you to the. I think it was called the Adventure package, the bit more. But it's not, it wasn't expensive uh, at mm-hmm. all, and uh, and again, it was the least we could do. So I think it's really nice because it, it's. It's tested the, the the unit, you know, being used so much every day after day, and to get it back and it looks like new, it feels like new. It's certainly it's it's for us. It's 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 a prove it's a proven beast now. So thanks very much for that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah it was good. it was great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. So it's been great talking to you, Duncan. So if people would like to donate money to Duncan, you just go to justgiving.com, and I think you just put in Duncan Hutchinson, do we? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, it's on the website, duncanadrift.com. Yeah. Yeah, duncanadrift.com, and then you can click there and you can donate to this wonderful cause. So, Duncan, thank you so much uh, for um, spending the time. Uh, for that. I must say, actually, since you have got back, you've been on the BBC website. You, I think you were on News 24, weren't you, on the BBC News 24? Uh, yeah, I was on the American telly. I was in the Latvian telly, Hungarian telly, and um, I was just... Uh, the paper just be, just before you called, I was on the paper as well. 
fantastic. Yeah. It's funny because I always seem to be something, whenever you get rescued, Duncan, I'm always someone. The first time you were rescued, I was coming back from the Isle of Man TT race. I think I spoke about that last time. And then I was down in the Peak District delivering a course. And, and uh, Sunday morning, I, I was just starting the course off. And uh, my wife texted me, said, have you heard about Duncan? I went, oh. And then, so, uh, yeah, I I'm always seem to be somewhere when when I hear that you've, uh, you've been rescued. But I think... From what, what I've read from the press reports, I think the Coast Guards have spoke very highly of you and said, you know, you didn't battle on with when you knew the electrics had gone, you, know, you acted correctly, you did the right thing. Because you could have just battled on and, and got a, a bad situation even worse, I think. Well, I think that was one of the major things. With being in a lifeboat crew for 20 years, I kind of, I mean, you get a lot of bad press and people saying things, but I mean, they really don't know what they're speaking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you say just try and sort something out before it gets too bad, you know. Yeah, yep, that's exactly right. Which is exactly what you did. So, thank you very much for speaking to us, Duncan. And uh, hopefully that um, when the book's released, we can uh, maybe get you back on the uh, the podcast, the GPS training podcast, and we can speak about the book. And uh, yeah, be, I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward. To it. I know here in the office we're following you we're following our newsletters through gps training newsletters we've been in live tracking so i know a lot of our listeners and and and, and people our staff at the, yeah. uh, the business uh, yeah we'd love to read the full story i'm uh, brilliant thank, yeah. so thank you very much duncan for joining us and it is very much appreciated and best of luck whatever you decide to do right thank you very much and thanks that was brilliant thank you cheers thank you duncan.